Episode 137, Stone-Faced. I'm Assistant Curator Merle Riedel, and you're listening to a July 13th, 2011 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on our website, kshs.org. On the second floor of the Kansas Capitol, you'll find a pantheon of heroes etched from stone. Like the Romans before us, we immortalized generals and senators. But in Kansas, we also picked a pudgy newspaper editor and a pilot with a penchant for fashion. Join Assistant Museum Director Rebecca Martin and me as we examine four small statues used for a massive art installation at the Kansas State House in the 1970s. Find out how an artist from Hayes, Kansas, painstakingly carved some of the state's most recognizable faces in stone. Then we go behind the scene with the Historical Society spokesman, Teresa Jenkins, to discuss the Sundown Film Festival 2011. Shown outside and under the stars, this year's films all have a Kansas connection. Find out how a mail-order bride, Martians, and a trigger-happy dentist relate to the Sunflower State. Finally, in Six Degrees of William Allen White, we connect White, a Pulitzer Prize-winning author from Emporia, Kansas, to Jesse James, a Confederate guerrilla turned notorious bank robber. Did White once challenge James to a brawl, only to learn the hard way that his destiny was to be a writer? But first, stone-faced. Good afternoon, Rebecca. Hi, Merle. Today we are discussing four small, what I thought were limestone, but it sounds like they're actually plaster, four small plaster sculptures. Um, and they're busts, and the busts each depict a Kansas hero. Um, and these were actually used as models for a much larger project that took place on the second floor of the Kansas State House in the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. Before we talk about the artists, let's talk a little bit about the state of art in the Capitol at the time. Um, can you tell us why art in the Kansas State House often leads to such controversy? I think public art is just rife with controversy because um, it's, well, it's public and it's representing your state's image, especially when it's in the State House. And uh, there's public money involved in it, so everybody thinks they can weigh in. The first time um, there was a real serious controversy with capital art was around the turn of the 20th century when um, an artist uh, painted some murals in one, I think it was one of the rotundas. And uh, people, they were nude women, or women who were nude from the waist up. They were classical women. I mean, it kind of looked like um, frescoes that you might see in a Roman villa. 
Um, but maybe it was the time and probably the people involved in this uh, at the turn of the 20th century, they were very upset with that and they started to taking to calling them nude telephone girls. I've never really heard it explained why they were telephone girls, except maybe their hairstyle looked like, you know. They were reminiscent of telephone operators. I, I, yeah, operators. So uh, that people hated it so much that that essentially got scraped off the walls and Gosh. another mural was painted over it. And then the next big controversy was um, in the 1930s, and it involved the really famous and today very well-respected painter John Stuart Curry, a regionalist. Um, it got ludicrous. I mean, people were criticizing all sorts of things. Uh, they just didn't like Curry, I think, as a as a person. And I don't know that he was capable of playing the you know the salesman for his art. But they were criticizing things like one of the skirts on the farm or the farm wife's skirt was too short. Right, and there uh, was a pig's tail that curved the wrong direction. Yeah, it curled the wrong direction. I and think one of the biggest controversies with his his. Biggest piece, which is the tragic prelude, depicts territorial and murals, Kansas in particular. And the in the capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Brown's in the center of it, and tornadoes in the background. I mean, it's all pretty, pretty awful stuff about Kansas history, yeah. and that's what people were, were mad that that's what yeah. he focused on. Well, these particular statues, and there is four of them, they served as models for a much larger art installation project that was taking place in the 1970s. Can you explain the project a little bit and tell us why these four particular characters were immortalized in stone, or in this case, I guess, immortalized in plaster? In plaster. (laughs) The project itself had to do with the second floor rotunda in the Capitol. Uh, That originally was supposed to have murals by John Stuart Curry, and when his his murals on another level got, or actually they were kind of off to the side, they got, uh, they were the subject of so much criticism that he left, and he didn't finish. In a huff. In a huff, and didn't sign his work, and yeah, and and it is, it's really a sad story. Um, But so they had this huge um, area in the second floor rotunda um, that, it, it seemed was always intended for art. And uh, the Capitol Murals Committee hired an artist named Lumen Martin Winter to do some murals, and he did a beautiful job. Mm-hmm. Um, but he painted around these four marble niches that are clearly intended to hold massive sculptures. Mm-hmm. Um, those were left empty as well as the walls blank for many years. So after Winter finished his murals, the uh, the legislature said, hey, that's pretty cool. Let's fill in the niches, finally, with some sculpture. Because they were looking a little nude. They were looking nude <laughs> and promiscuous. <laughs> they were definitely empty niches, uh, and and they needed to be filled. So um, they, they allocated $60,000 for four sculptures to fill those niches, and um, they turned it over to us. Right. Yeah, so the, the niches, I mean, the, the whole winter murals project went really well, and the niches were empty, so they allocated $60,000, and they told the Historical Society, you're going to be responsible for this. Well, I I wasn't here at the time working, but I can imagine somebody's gut tightened when they heard that, mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing the history of controversy in, in Capitol. Um, but what they did was they um, solicited the, the names of of Kansans, famous Kansans who you had to be dead and you had to have contributed significantly to the history and reputation of Kansas. So at this point they were looking for subjects to be Just depicted. Just the subjects, first of all. And uh, those names 
uh, were submitted to a committee, and the Committee of Historians and Anthropologists narrowed it down to four names. William Allen White, whom we all know, you know, we right. six degrees of William Allen White, that's what he's famous for. Famous tur- <laughs> turn of the century, yeah. <laughs> he did some other stuff, too. Yeah, he's an editor, a Pulitzer Prize-winning editor. Mm-hmm. Friend of presidents. Novelist, yes. And um, he was one, one person whose name uh, sifted to the top. Another one was Amelia Earhart, um, the great aviator. Eisenhower, Dwight D. Eisenhower, a very famous uh, World War II general commander of the Allied Forces and um, also uh, our 34th president. Yeah, born and born in, or raised in Abilene, Kansas. Yeah, and, and all of them are Kansans, of course. And then the, the fourth name uh, was... Um, Arthur Capper. Arthur Capper. Darn, I was drawing a blank there for a little bit. Arthur Capper, um, a politician and a publisher. So uh, the... the Competition narrowed it down to those names, and then they opened it up to artists. And uh, you had to submit a resume and slides of your work in an application and show how you could do, you could provide four huge statues, uh, about a ton each, eight feet high, to fit in these niches and put them in place for $60,000 or less. So the. Good luck. Yeah. Um, the committee got 20 applications, and they narrowed it down to three individuals. So, um, Tell us a little bit about the artists vying for this project. You said it was down to four, four uh, artists? They narrowed it from 20 to three to artists. 20 to, to three. three. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about who yeah. those guys were? Well, one of them was Lumen Martin Winter, the muralist who had done the Rotunda murals. And, in fact, the bill that went through the legislature, the, the supporters of the bill expected that Winter would get the commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and he even suggested four names himself for the sculptures. Uh, he just kind of did it on his own and... Um, they were different. A couple of them were different from what ended up being chosen. Uh, so there were there was some expectation that Winter was going to get it. Um, but he there, was the front runner. He was the front runner. However, not everybody liked his work. You know, because it's public art, somebody mm-hmm. had to hate it. Um, he was he was best known as a muralist, uh, an exceptional painter in that respect, and a very good salesman. So he was kind of the front runner. Um, another finalist was a, a man mainly who was a sculptor, John Learned. Um, he was living in Oklahoma at the time. And I should say all three of these finalists were Kansans, but uh, Winter was, Lumen Martin Winter was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, because, mm-hmm. you know, if you have the money, why not? Right. That's where all the artists go. <laughs> uh, Learned was living in Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the third finalist was Peter Fritz Felton, mm-hmm. Jr. Sounds of, German. Uh-huh. Of Hayes, Kansas. Um, and he ended up getting the commission. Um, Fritz Felton, uh, he said himself later on that he was really the only one of the finalists who worked in sculpture that was that massive, mm-hmm. a, a ton. But he'd had a lot of success with public art mm-hmm. around the state. People liked uh, his subjects, and they liked the fact that he was living in Kansas. He was living in Hayes, Kansas. He had a studio there. Still does, actually. And worked with native stone, native Kansas stone. So he was selected um, to do the four sculptures. Uh, and the bust that we have on our Cool Things page, the, the plaster bust, those were the models that he submitted as one of the three finalists. Each one of the finalists had to research and submit models. What's, what is notable? Because he spoke a little bit about what it was like to come up with the design of these um, four heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about a style and what went into designing these particular looks. 
if if I if I as a non instructed person was to summarize the style, I would say kind of chunky and blocky. <laughs> Is that how you would describe I, it? Absolutely. I've seen some of his other public installations, and that's yeah. kind of his thing. Uh-huh. Is his statues are always a little bit chunky yeah. and blocky looking. But uh, but he said he talked a lot about Felton talked a lot about. Um, how he researched his subjects, and um, there were four different characters, as we said, and some of them he felt were pretty easy to decide on a final pose, and and one of them was not easy at all. Um, he said Eisenhower had these very you know authoritative poses, mm-hmm. so he was pretty easy mm-hmm. to decide on, and. Uh, Amelia Earhart, there were a variety of poses he had and, and expressions. He just picked one. He felt, and, and I think her character comes across really nicely. Mm-hmm. Capper, he said, always had, he was a humble man who had kind of hunched shoulders, so he felt that he wanted to get that humility expressed in stone. The difficult one was William Allen White. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he, Felton's reasoning for that was that White was so expressive. Uh, and I think we know from looking at photographs of him, he was he he just changed his expression a lot, and he didn't have a single pose that he right. used. So Felton really struggled with that, and he actually interviewed members of White's family to talk to them about you know expressions and and physical characteristics of mm-hmm. the man that might not come through in a photograph. It's been exactly thirty years since Felton installed these Kansas Notables. I think to the month. So how do you think the selection held up, Uh, as in these four Kansas heroes? Did we pick the right four people to immortalize? And I only ask because you had some problems earlier remembering the fourth one. Well, uh, I yeah, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, yes, we picked the right four to immortalize. Now, you know, I had trouble remembering Capra, but I just don't have very good memory. Um, no, I don't think. I mean, I think I, I, I would argue that Capper and even William Allen White to an extent. Yeah. Most people not. do not know who, who they are. I mean, every state has a senator. I mean, people are always going to remember Eisenhower and, and, and Amelia, I, I guess, as long oh, as she's yeah. never found. Yeah. Well, even if she is found, yeah, she's kind of she's the stuff of legend, and Eisenhower shows up in World War II movies, and we're doing, you know, we we promote William Allen White as much as we can, but Capper is one of those individuals that is a bit forgotten outside of Topeka. All right, Rebecca. Well, thanks for telling us about the Felton sculptures. You're welcome. All around me are familiar faces. Worn out places, worn out faces. Today's Kansas Quiz deals with public art. In this podcast, you heard about sculptures in the state capitol. But did you know that each state is allowed two statues in the United States capitol? Our quiz question is, which two Kansans are immortalized in National Statuary Hall? Bonus points if you know whose statue was replaced in 2003. I'll be back in a moment with the answer. Drown my sorrow, no tomorrow, no tomorrow. On July 15th, the Historical Society will kick off the Sundown Film Festival. Projected on the side of a wall and viewed from under the stars, the Sundown has grown large and popular. In celebration of the state's 150th anniversary, each of the four films has a Kansas connection. 
Today, we go behind the scenes with Information Officer Teresa Jenkins to learn our state's connection to four rather odd films. How many years have we been doing the Sundown Film Festival, and what makes it different from your average film festival? Well, nothing we do here is average. Exactly. <laughs> this is the sixth year of the Sundown Film Festival. Each year we try to tie the films to our current special exhibit or we feature films with Kansas Connections. And this year we're doing both because mm -hmm. our special exhibit is about the 150th anniversary of our state. And it's called the Sundown Film Festival because? Because the sun starts, the, the movie starts when the sun goes down. Right, because it's it out, shown outside. Outdoors. Right, we show it on, on the side of the building. We have this huge screen that we haul out there and we cut the grass and spray for insects and, and, and let the crowd loose. Mm -hmm. On July 15th, the festival will feature the film Picnic, starring Kim Novak and a slightly creepy William Holden. <laughs> His character is a, is a little uh, a little aggressive. Um, what is the Kansas connection to this kind of 1950s era film? Well, first of all, I prefer to think of Bill Holden's character as troubled and wrestling with inner demons. But sure, that's he's a bit of a opinion. drifter. <laughs> um, but this film has several Kansas connections. It's based on a play of the same name written by Kansan William Inge, who was born in Independence in 1930. Mm -hmm. He pursued acting throughout school and graduated from KU in 1935. He taught drama and pursued a career in playwriting. And he wrote a series of what I would call successful plays, including Come Back Little Sheba, Bus Stop, and Splendor in the Grass. And he was even awarded a Pulitzer Prize for his work on Picnic. Right. His stuff is really interesting. Um, it's often about sort of angst and, and love and repression. The two other films, Sarah Plain and Tall and Wyatt Earp, uh, they both feature Kansas in the storyline. So um, that's a pretty easy connection to figure out. However, the last movie we'll talk about is the 1996 black comedy Mars Attacks, which is a I love this movie. <laughs> it, is a it is a Tim Burton film, and he's kind of known for uh, some pretty twisted, um, some twi twisted concepts. Yeah. Uh, but the best part about this one, it's got a really impressive cast that includes a lot of people sort of on the cusp of their career going big time and some people that were actually kind of thought to be, whose careers were thought to be petered out mm -hmm. at the time. So it stars Jack Nicholson, Annette Bening, Michael J. Fox, Jack Black, wow. Natalie Portman. <laughs> uh, so a lot of these guys. Uh, what does Mars attack? What does it have to do with Kansas? Well, this movie... It had a very un unusual plot, but as from scenery-wise, it contrasted urban and rural backdrops. And the location scouts chose parts of Kansas to represent the rural view, of mm -hmm. course. And the movie's surreal opening scene was filmed near Lawrence, and it depicts a farmer and his family looking on in horror as their cows are being torched by the aliens. Yeah, yeah. It kind of gives you a preview of what kind of movie you're about to see in case there was any doubt going into it. Well, another little-known Kansas connection for this film is that one of its stars, Annette Bening, she was born in Topeka. That's right, Annette, Annette Bening, born in Topeka. So lots of Kansas connections there. Uh, on our website, kshs.org, guests can actually find several tips to enhance their sundown film festival experience. Like we said, it's shown outside, the movie's projected on a wall. 
So there's a couple little different things you got to think about that's going to make it make it more pleasurable. Um, can you tell us a couple of these tips? Well, having attended many of these in the past, I can give you the insider track. Get here early mm-hmm. for two reasons. You can scope out a great place on the lawn. You can sit down in your lawn chairs or your blankets, bring your own seating, and you can just walk away and leave it there because there's things to see here. You can go shop in the museum store. It will be open till 9. And the museum gallery itself will be open for the greatly reduced admission price of 150 pennies or $1.50 in oh, commemoration yeah. of the sesquicentennial. So you're bringing your lawn chairs, you're bringing your blankets, bring your insect repellent. We do spray around the area, but, you know, those bugs can be pretty aggressive this time of year. And also bring some spare change because you can help support the Sundown Film Festival by buying your popcorn and candy from our concession stand. It closes about 30 minutes into the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I have attended several of these. I've also seen people bring picnics yes basically snack food i've seen people bring blankets to lay on i've seen them bring almost sort of like full-scale reclining lawn chairs yes. and like you say get there early but also if you are it's not really such a big deal if you're late because it's a huge lawn and really yes. there aren't bad seats no. there's really good seats but i mean there is just plenty of space to lay out i've seen people bring their dogs mm-hmm. and I've, seen, I've watched dogs watch the wizard of oz mm-hmm. um where else can you take your dog to a movie i know it's it's really nice and you can even get ice cream there yes so an outdoor evening event in the middle of summer in kansas and that means that weather will somehow play a part yes um how do I find out the latest info about the festival, like whether it's canceled or not? Well, we are going to show the movie Rain or Shine. If it looks like rain when we're setting up on that Friday afternoon each week, we'll set up inside the museum lobby. Uh, you'll still want to bring chairs and blankets regardless, but be sure to come early to get the best spot because that lobby will fill up fast if we mm-hmm. have to move indoors. Uh, if there's other weather updates we need to post, we'll put it on the kshs.org homepage. Mm-hmm. You can also get, uh, if you if you like us on Facebook, you can get pretty frequent updates. Yeah, we'll start, we'll start promoting all those shows here pretty soon. Excellent. Well, thank you for, Teresa, for telling us about the Sundown Film Festival. Thank you. Happy birthday and I feel the way that every child should I'm Rebecca Martin with the answer to today's Kansas Quiz. Which Kansans are immortalized in sculpture at the U.S. Capitol? The answers are Dwight David Eisenhower in bronze and John James Ingalls in marble. Eisenhower is the famous World War II general and president. Ingalls, though, is a politician whose star has faded. Before Eisenhower's statue was installed, another Kansan cast a stony gaze over Statuary Hall. Do you know who it was? George Washington Glick was a lawyer and governor whom almost no one remembers these days. When Kansas swapped out Glick for Eisenhower in 2003, it became the first state to replace a U.S. Capitol statue. As the saying goes, all glory is fleeting. And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White. Joining me today is Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman. Hello. And reference librarian Teresa Coble. Hello. Today we connect William Allen White, a small town newspaper editor from Emporia, Kansas, to Jesse James, the most infamous outlaw of the American West. Teresa, how about you give a little background on Mr. James? All right. Well, 
he was born September 5th, 1847 in Clay County, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Problems already. Dun, dun. <laughs> uh, Jesse Woodson James was the son of Robert James, a Baptist minister. Interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. have guessed that. <laughs> <laughs> the small family of future fugitives included older brother Frank and sister Susan Lavinia. Hello. I can, I can understand. I love yeah. that. <laughs> sister was a fugitive? I don't know if his sister was, but his brother was. Okay. We're just putting them all together. <laughs> I see. Well, it's future fugitives, and then it said sister. I'm like, what does she do? <laughs> I'm curious now. Uh, and so after the early death of his father, Jesse's mother remarried, but that soon ended due to a mutual dislike between the James boys and their new father. Mm. I, I bet, I'm betting they were a little rambunctious as kids. Yeah. 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 Wild and shoeless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, living in the slave holding region of Missouri, the James family sided with the South during the Civil War. And uh, so, older brother Frank rode with Confederate guerrilla William Quantrill during his infamous raid of Lawrence, Kansas. And uh, soon, little brother followed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, after the war, the James boys took to robbing banks, often victimizing former Union sympathizers. Yeah, they seem to, like, These pick banks oh. that uh, the owners were either Union generals or mm. Union politicians at some point. I'm pretty impressed with how kind of academically they researched this stuff. <laughs> Starting out, yeah. Uh, so, soon the boys found themselves on the run from Pinkerton agents and Missouri Governor Thomas Crittenden. And uh, shortly after marrying his cousin, how unfortunate, mm. Z, Z Mims, unfortunate in so many ways. <laughs> that's how they, I, mean, I don't know, maybe that's how they get down in Missouri. <laughs> Jesse moved to uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, to, to hide. And there on April 3rd, 1882, at the machinations of Governor Crittenden, uh, a fellow gang member named Robert Ford shot James in the back of the head. Coward Robert yeah. Ford. Yeah. Have you been to the house where he was shot? I, I went to St. Joe, and I saw where it was at, but I didn't go in. Uh, yeah. I've heard that's one of those places that, like, the bullet hole in the wall started out very small, and yeah. because people touched it so much, it's like a giant hole, <laughs> like you were shot with a can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Teresa. Now on to the game. As a contestant, you will hear two chains of connection between William Allen White and Jesse James. You, Teresa, must pick the true six degrees from the false. Wow, this is new to me. And Michaela, you can go first. Okay, well, as Teresa mentioned, and if people were listening to a couple podcasts ago, they will know that, of course, Jesse James was the younger brother of Frank James, who was also a member of the James gang, and bad news, as we found (laughs) out. And during the Civil War, Frank James was a Confederate sympathizer, And when Confederate troops withdrew from Missouri, leaving only the Union Home Guards in the state, he sided with the Confederate guerrillas who were still in the state. And that's how he ended up joining with guerrilla groups. And he belonged to a couple and then eventually settled down with William Quantrill. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as we know, Quantrill and his raiders sacked Lawrence, Kansas on August 21st, 1863, and they killed between 185 and 200 men and boys. Mm. Um, Among the victims during the raid was a judge named Lewis Carpenter, and Mr. Carpenter and his wife lived on New Hampshire Street in Lawrence, Mm -hmm. and during the raid, a few of the raiders approached his house, and he managed to talk them out of burning it and hurting anyone in the house. So those raiders moved on. But then as the raiders were leaving town, a group of them stopped back by, and they asked him what state he was from. And he was originally from New York, so he told them New York. And, of course, that being a union state, they didn't like that. So they started shooting at him. And he ran through his house into the backyard 
and they shot him four times. And his wife is like throwing herself <laughs> over his back to protect him, and like they're burning the house down, and the wife's sister is putting out the fire. Okay. You know, it's very dramatic. <laughs> so Mr. Carpenter is killed in the raid. Mrs. Carpenter, after the raid, she was originally from Emporia, Kansas. Mm. Uh, she left Lawrence and went back to Emporia and became the librarian at the Emporia City Library. And when William Allen White was a student at Emporia College, he used to go to the city library to hang out. And he was very impressed by Mrs. Carpenter because her husband had been killed in the raid. And that was something that he knew. You know, he'd been told that story a lot Mm -hmm. as a child. So he found her to be a very fascinating person. Wow. So the linchpin of your six degrees is Judge Carpenter. That's right. Two professions for a name. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> but mainly a judge. <laughs> all right, all right. So on to mine. Okay, so among the many visitors to the William Allen White home of Red Rocks in Emporia was one Anne Morgan, daughter of the financier J.P. Morgan. Following a series of spectacular train heists by the James Gang, J.P. Morgan and Company hired the Pinkerton Detective Agency to locate the the bandits. Founded by Alan Pinkerton in 1850, the Pinkerton Detective Agency frequently provided security and investigative services for Morgan's railroad and banking interests. Mm. In 1875, Pinkerton agents raided and burned the the James family farm in Clay County, Missouri, killing James' half-brother, and blowing the arm off of his mother, oh. who survived. Thanks, Pinkerton. Did she then give tours? With she the did on? give tours wow. later on with the one. I mean, can you imagine telling that story? My son was an outlaw, and my arm got shot off by Pinkerton agents. Please enter our home. All right, Teresa. Yeah, I'm going to have to go for Michaela's. That's correct. Yes! That is yeah. the correct answer, indeed. Yes, mine was the fictional one. <laughs> right, nice, nice job, Teresa. Nikayla, would you please issue the challenge for the next episode? You bet. For our next episode, we attempt to connect William Allen White to the International Space Station, a unique multinational construction project of galactic proportions the ISS has taken over a decade to construct. So come back in two weeks when we connect William Alla White to a giant bus station to Mars. <laughs> Thanks, oh, ladies. Thank you. That concludes episode 137, Stone Faced. If you would like to see images of Peter Felton's model statehouse statues, just go to kansasmemory.org, our online digital repository. We'd love to hear what you think of our podcast, so please feel free to complete a podcast survey from the podcast page on our website, kshs.org. Come back in two weeks when Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and I examine a photograph of a tornado that hit Anderson County, Kansas in 1884. As far as anyone can tell, this photograph is the first known image of a tornado. Pretty impressive when you realize that until that time, few people in America had any idea what a tornado looked like. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Real people, real stories.